Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and reading for our text, verse 7. Verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 and specifically thinking this evening of the earthen vessels. Continuing the series we started last week on the theme of a vessel in scripture. The illustrations that are used by the Holy Spirit. And here we have a earthen vessel, really speaking of the Apostle Paul in the first place, but speaking of men, men that are formed out of the earth and as vessels, that into those vessels, the vessels meant to hold something, is put the treasure of the gospel of the word of God. And the reason that is given here is that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. There's a word that when I was exercised on the ministry was really blessed to me through Edward Carr's musing in green pastures, drawing attention to this verse. And what a help it is when a man feels to be a man and feels to be but an earthen vessel and to get a right view that this is what God has appointed and ordained. It is for his honour and glory. It is how he blesses the word, how he brings that treasure to others. And there is strength in realising God's plan, the truths of God and whether we are a believer that never is in the ministry, we still also have that treasure of the knowledge and light of God in our bodies here below. And those that are called to preach, they have that which they then impart to others. So may the Lord help us to look at this verse this evening, especially the words the earthen vessels but the whole verse I wish to speak on but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us so I want to look firstly at the treasure which is the the gospel and then secondly the way in which God conveys it to men is in earthen vessels and then thirdly the reason what given for God's choice of this means is that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us firstly we have the treasure but we have this treasure Now, Lord spoke the parables of the man that found the treasure in the field and that then 
he went and sold all that he had so he could buy that field and have that treasure. And he, he points out the value when it is seen of the gospel, when it is found, when it is realised that it is a treasure. In another part, when asked what one might do that he might inherit eternal life, the Lord then bid him to sell all that he had and give to the poor and then come follow me and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. But here it is speaking not of that treasure which is in heaven, though of course that is the end and expectation and desire of the people of God here, but declare that they are strangers and pilgrims in the earth and that in saying that they seek, declare plainly that they seek a heavenly country and that we have respect unto the recompense of the reward in heaven. That is a treasure, but it's not the treasure that is in the earthen vessels here, here below. That is what the knowledge is of the expectancy of it, and that is the hope set before us. But the treasure here is spoken of actually being in the vessel. And so we have in the words immediately prior to our text the meaning of this treasure. And it is in the gospel in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle makes the uh, solemn uh, statement that if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the glorious, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And so we have in, the, in these verses that precede our text a little picture of what this treasure is. And it, firstly it centres in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. We have stated that in verse 4 that who is in the image of God. The gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. The light of the knowledge of that. The whole treasure is the knowledge of the truths of the gospel. As the light of truth and the light of revelation shines upon these precious truths, that is the treasure. And so the first facet or aspect of the treasure is our Lord who is the image of God. This is one of the themes that John, especially in his Gospels, that Jesus of Nazareth, that he is the Son of God, that he is God manifest in the flesh. We know, of course, that man was made in the image of God, made he them. And our Lord Jesus Christ, he then was made flesh and dwelt among us. 
and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If man was made, if Adam was made in the image of God, and we have the Lord made like unto his brethren in the image of God, we have the Lord Jesus Christ not just seen as God and not just seen as man, but really God and man. The gospel, glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. And yet we might say with the apostle, well, isn't every man the image of God? But what we must remember is that we are sinners. We have fallen from the image of God. We are not in that way that God pronounces creation good, but we have fallen from that image, estranged from God, alienated from God by wicked works. Now, Lord, we are told in Hebrews, was made like unto his brethren in all points, sin accepted. So that image is truly the image of God, the sinless one, the spotless one, the perfect one, God and man in one person. And the light of that knowledge is a treasure, a treasure that many do not have, a treasure that is imparted by God to his ministers and to his people that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. To be able to look on him and see in him the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so this first aspect of that uh, treasure is to see the Lord as he truly is and truly worship him as he is. And so that treasure is the light of that knowledge. In verse 5 then we have another aspect, for we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord. Another. The Lord says, ye call me Lord and Master, and ye say, well, for so I am, but ye do not the things that I say. But the Lord was the Lord. He is the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ. And that again is one of the aspects of this treasure, this knowledge, this understanding and light in viewing the Lord as truly our Lord. Dear Thomas, when he eventually saw the Lord, he said, uh, that except I thrust my finger into the print of the nails and my hand into his side, I will not believe. But when he saw him on that uh, second, first day of the week after the Lord had risen from the dead, then his words was, my Lord and my God. And may we have that knowledge and that treasure as well. Then we have a third in verse 6 <clears throat> with the glory of God. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, 
has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And here we have joined together the creation, that same God who created, commanded that light to shine out of darkness in cre- creation, that he brings that treasure as shining, as a light, and to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And it is in the face of Jesus Christ. We look upon the Lord Jesus Christ and we see the glory of God. The glory of God in salvation. The glory of God to devise a way to save rebellious and ruined man and to put away his sin, to blot out his transgressions and to bring him to be with him in glory. It is this glory that belongs especially to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And all that would rob the Lord Jesus of his glory, of his divinity, of his Godhead, of his work, who would suggest that man needs to add to it, then they rob God of his glory. The Lord Jesus Christ is he of whom the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So we have the treasure uh, centering first in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the image of God as our Lord and as viewing the glory of God. Then we have his actual work. The fourth verse, if we go back to that, we have the description of the gospel. Not just the gospel of Christ, the good news of salvation, but describing it as the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. The light of that gospel. Light makes manifest. And the very first thing in creation that God did was to give light. Let there be light. Light shining out of darkness. When the Lord rose from the dead, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And every place where the message and news of the gospel comes, it is light shining upon the word, shining in the heart, shining where those dark marks of sin are and where evil is, making manifest the malady and then shining upon the remedy, shining upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's spoken of here as a glorious gospel gospel that gives God all the honour and the glory. A gospel that is glorious in that it fully deals with sin. It puts away sin. The payment is completely made in the precious blood of Christ. It provides a robe of righteousness for those who have sinned and their sins put away and they believe in the Lord And with that righteousness, they will stand faultless before the throne. It is a gospel that saves 
a people while they are in this world so they may know they are saved and delivers them from the power and dominion of sin in their bodies. So though we are not yet in heaven, we are not out of a body of death, we are compassed with the world and with Satan and with sin within and without, yet there is provision in this glorious gospel to save us from those sins. It is a glorious gospel because it is enforced and sent forth with the power of the Holy Ghost from heaven. I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter which shall abide with you forever. He shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Tarry at Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And it is a glorious gospel because it comes with that authority and power to convert a sinner in spite of themselves and yet make them willing in the day of his power so they are not forced but sweetly constrained to believe and walk in the ways of the Lord. And that grace that is given is irresistible. It must be effectual. And it is glorious because it is effectual. My word shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish the thing whereto I sent it. And it is glorious, because the Lord has ordained himself to be, and the Father has appointed him to be, that minister of the New Testament that is sealed in his own precious blood. He is our advocate with the Father, He is appearing in the presence of God for us and he speaks for us in heaven's high court for good. The provision of the gospel is that we do have a voice at court. We do have one that speaks for us. And so, and we have the evidence of that when the Lord says, I pray the Father, tarry at Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit did come the evidence of the Lord's ascension and intercession and the gift of the Holy Spirit is a glorious gospel that cannot be overturned by man. Who is he that saith and it cometh to pass when the Lord commandeth it not? It is a gospel that is traced back to eternity past The people of God have been loved with an everlasting love and therefore with loving kindness have they been drawn. They have been chosen in Christ from the foundation of the world and they are chosen unto eternal glory. Our Lord says in John 10 and prays, Father I will that they whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory. So it is a glorious gospel because it does give glory to God and it brings the people that are subjects of it to behold that glory here below and to behold it in the face of Jesus Christ above. It is a gospel that is ordered in all things and sure. And so this treasure, this treasure of the gospel, the revelation of God, Uh, to his people it is a glorious gospel of Christ he is the centre of it 
He is the one that has brought it. He is the one that has brought it about. He is the one that has sealed it with his own precious blood. So we have the treasure, the treasure of the gospel. Really, all of the doctrines, all of the teaching of this gospel, the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, is to be held in the hearts of the people of God, held within their vessels. And so on to look then in the second place, the way in which God conveys it to men. Paul is speaking here of a ministry that he has received of God. And we know from his testimony on the Damascus Road how God gave him that ministry and directly from our Lord making him an apostle, one born out of due time, as he says. He says, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, this is verse 1 of the chapter where our text is, we have received, we have received mercy, we faint not. The ministry that he received, he received in himself as an earthen vessel. God has ordained to do it in this way. And may we remember that we are indeed formed out of the earth. We read in Genesis 2 and verse 9, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant, uh, to, uh, to, sorry, that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in verse 7 we read, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of not life and man became a living soul. And so we are of the dust. And when we fell in Adam, when Adam fell, the pronouncement, part of that curse upon man, in the sweat of thy face, in Genesis 3 verse 19, the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And so we are truly formed out of the dust and we shall return to the dust. In the book of Job, Elihu, when he came to speak to Job, he says to Job that he is in God's stead, but he says, I also am full formed out of the clay. And in speaking to Job, he reminds Job that he also is a man. He also is of the dust. He is also a vessel, an earthen vessel. And he is speaking to Job in that way, a man to man, a sinner to a sinner. And yet Elihu is bringing the word of God. 
all those who have truly known and feared God have realised and known what they are before God. Abraham, when he pleaded for Lot, he uh, says that he called himself as who am but dust and ashes. He felt unworthy to be pleading with God and to making intercession uh, for Lot in Sodom. And then we have in Psalm 103 those beautiful words that he remembereth that we are dust. The Lord does remember that we are creatures of the earth. We are dust, so soon crushed, so soon to pass away and to return unto the dust again. In Acts chapter 10, when the gospel, this treasure, this good news was first brought to the Gentiles through the house of Cornelius, then it was an angel that appeared to Cornelius, but he did not preach to him the gospel. He bade him to go and fetch one Peter from Joppa in the house of Simon Atana. And so he had they sent men to bring Peter. And Peter was prepared by God through a vision to preach to the Gentiles and speak the gospel to them. You can read it in that chapter, how wonderfully Peter comes and he opens his mouth and begins and he speaks in, and the record is very simple in the word of God as to the gospel that he brings and he speaks to them of our Lord Jesus Christ, very simply of what he did at Jerusalem in his death, in his resurrection and God's blessing upon our Lord. And while he spoke those words, then the Holy Spirit fell upon them as it was at the beginning at Pentecost and many believed. All those that gathered together, they believed the light through the testimony, through the preaching of Peter shone into their hearts, lighted their hearts, brought them to see and to believe that gospel and personally to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God has ordained that men, not angels, preach this gospel, that they have in their vessels this treasure. They are earthen vessels. They are vessels that have no beauty in themselves. They are vessels that are easy broken. They are vessels that have no glory of themselves. And they are vessels that are the same as the vessels they minister to and preach to. They know they themselves must one day die and the truths of the gospel that they point others to, they rest in as well. They hope in as well. They have no other gospel, no other resting place than the word they bring. And that is a Wonderful testimony. You wouldn't think of going to someone who was trying to sell some goods and yet they never had them themselves. Saying, this is a wonderful car, beautiful car. You say, what car have you got? And they haven't got that maker of the car. They've got something else. 
or uh, setting forth some wonderful cure to some disease that they have got. And they'll say, well, how has it worked for you? They said, oh, we don't use that cure, we use something else. Uh, you would never trust in that person, in what they were saying. But if you have one that says, this is a cure, I have tried it, I use it, it works for me, I trust in it, then that carries a much more weight. The Apostle Paul, certainly himself, testifies that God had mercy upon him first, who he felt to be the chiefest of sinners, so that none might despair, that none might think what their case was so bad that they could not be saved. And so it is very necessary and it is God's plan as he has ordained to have sinners preached to sinners. Now text is in Paul's epistles to the Corinthians and the first epistle that he wrote to them in the first chapter he goes into again the preaching of the gospel and he testifies that Christ sent him to preach the gospel not with wisdom of words lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect and he sets before them that preaching in a way is is described as the uh, uh, foolishness of preaching He says in verse 21, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The authoritative declaration of the word of God. The commission is to preach the word. The word of God, which is the light of the gospel. To set forth that word and that God through that means will cause the blessing to rest upon the word, rest upon the preaching. And so we have it in our text, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Whoever hears the gospel preached, they are to remember this, that The one that they hear preaching and see preaching is but an earthen vessel. And they may be contemptible, their speech might not be clear, their articulation might not be quite right, but the message, if they have the true message of the gospel, is a treasure, is worth more than all of this world can ever afford. It is a blessing that if known, It has eternal blessings in it, eternal life, the pardon and forgiveness of sins and peace with God and a reconciliation with God and a title to eternal glory. And God then has chosen the way, appointed the way that this news should go forth. He commissioned the disciples, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And he said to them, when they persecute you in one city, then go to the next. And that is how they were to go. And certainly in the Acts of the Apostles, 
That is how they went from one city to the other. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. So we have the treasure and then we have the earthen vessel in what the treasure is in. The gospel being preached by sinners to sinners. Then we have thirdly the reason why. The reason given for God's choice of this means. In our text it is that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It is not by the minister's persuasion, though he may persuade, it is not by his eloquence, though he may have an eloquent delivery, it is not to be of man, man is to be weak and powerless and incapable of saving another, but the work must be of God. If our salvation is to be owned by God, it must be seen to come from God and known to be God's work here below. This is the work of God that ye believe in him whom God hath sent. The Lord told of those solemn cases of those that appeared before him at the last day and they said, open to us. And he said to them, I never knew you. But they said that thou hast taught in our streets, we have been called by thy name. But he says, depart from me, all ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. How could it be that there be those that think, that think they have had the teaching of God, think they have a warrant for heaven, but God knows nothing about it. Whatever they had had was just on a um, an earthly plane, a natural plane. It had not been from any power, any work of God. Otherwise God would truly have known about it. And so it is vital that we do know, like the Thessalonians knew, that the word of the gospel came not unto them in word only, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And it is essential that the power is attending the word to quicken a soul, to bring him into life and to uh, make a real change uh, in that uh, person. And so the, the preacher goes forth and he has the message, but he does not have the power. Perhaps I could use just a simple illustration some of you might be familiar with. We have powered speakers. We have them in this chapel. And we have a signal going from the computer into those uh, speakers. But they need power. They need to be put plugged into a power supply. Without that power then that signal, you can hardly hear it at all. You need the signal, you need the message through that, but you need the power. And as soon as you turn the power on, then you can hear, then it is doing the job. And so with the gospel, there must be the preaching, though it is, as Paul says, his speech was weak, it was contemptible, there must be. Uh, we have in uh, the Paul's epistle to the Romans, 
and and chapter uh, 10. He he says, uh, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him, in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But he speaks of the need of there to be that power, that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And the author and finisher of faith is our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, he tells them in the first chapter that the belief that they were brought to believe was of the same power that brought our Lord from the dead. He says of them in in chapter 1 verse 18 that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. It is not a light thing, it's not a small thing to be a believer. And every believer is to know that, to understand what power is put forth in making them to be a believer. And many times it's like the Apostle Paul. He resisted the word first. God said of him, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And yet the power of God is seen in breaking through those barriers. In John, when he writes in his first general epistle in chapter 5, he says in verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. You might think, why write to those that already believe? You write to tell them what that believing means. That where they believe on the Lord, that power that is put forth, they have eternal life. It is begun and it begins here below in the light that is given them from God and the gospel that they have received. And so the power must be of God. And the reason, again, that the not only the power, but it is also the glory of God. And the Apostle makes this known early on in his epistles, that the excellency of the power we have in our text may be of God, but if we were to read down a little bit further in those that first epistle and chapter 1, he says that no flesh should glory in his presence, and that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. In the Old Testament, 
We have the illustration of Gideon when the Midianites came and invaded the land, a great mighty enemy in their midst. And yet God chose Gideon, uh, a man who felt his weakness in poverty and his small position in Israel. And God then weakened his army right down just to 300 and then didn't give them submachine guns or anything like that but just uh, a trumpet and a lamp and vessels and those vessels, those pictures, they had to be broken and the light that was in the pictures then it shone forth and the trumpet was heard. In one sense it's a beautiful picture of the gospel, a picture of our text where the ministers of the gospel go forth and it's through their broken vessels, it's through the light that's in their vessels that that light shines forth and that's what overcomes the enemy, that's what delivers the people of God, that's what saves them, the trumpet of the gospel. And so with Gideon, it was that God said the reason why They had to be reduced so low so that they didn't say their own hand and their own might saved them. God will make sure that you and I, whether we are minister or whether we are a believer and in some other role in the church of God, that we will feel, and we will feel from time to time more than other times, that we are but earthen vessels. We feel the weakness of our bodies, the weakness of our minds. We feel to lack strength. We feel so much to need that help of the Lord. And we feel to be really sinners, like those we walk before, mix with and preach to. And... This is what God has designed, the way God has designed, that the power, not just the power, but the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It's a great encouragement to pray, to pray and to look to the Lord, to bless the word with power, to bless, especially that word we would be tempted to despise or pass by as not being used or not being uh, effectual enough. I fear uh, it is so today. We're looking more and more, as it were, we uh, test the ministers of the gospel by university lecturers or by natural means and not looking for the power of God to attend that word God will never honour that. It won't be the glory to his name, won't be the comfort, the assurance that is to be given by him alone. Salvation is of God, and he which hath begun a good work in you, he will perform unto the day of Jesus Christ. And our Lord testifies that without me ye can do nothing, They're tarrying at Jerusalem when they went forth to preach the gospel. Tarry at Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Without that there was no need to preach. They couldn't preach 
however eloquent they were, it would not be blessed. And so we have God's plan and God's purpose here that we are to be real and understanding in what God's plan is. Not think about man what he really is as an as a earthen vessel. Not think lightly of the gospel. It is a treasure. It is a most blessed treasure that many do not have. And bless the Lord if we do have it. And the Lord has shone in our hearts and given us that light. And it is a sweet evidence of power that moves the sinner's heart. The hymn writer says, My heart will move at thy command. Some of us may feel this evening much to need that moving power of the Lord, that which shall soften our hearts, that which shall draw us after the Lord. Our Lord says, No man can come unto me except the Father which sent me draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. It is that irresistible power. We know what it is. If we've got a piece of steel and a magnet, you might not see anything between the two, but there is a power that draws one to the other. And we need that unseen, but irresistible power of God to draw us to the Lord, to draw us to his word, and to make us to be what he'd have us to be. The Apostle Paul was able to say so clearly what I am. I am by the grace of God, the free and merited favour of God, the power of God. And may we be able to say the same without reserve, not thinking, well, maybe I am what I am just because I've been brought up under the truth or just because that I've learnt it as a schoolboy learned the task. But when we can trace back and see that the Lord has begun with us and that he has dealt with our hard heart and softened our heart and drawn us to him and opened our hearts to receive the word, then we know something of the excellency of that power, a power that doesn't destroy, doesn't crush a people, but saves a people. The Lord said when he was to be taken in the Garden of Gethsemane and they put forth the sword, put up thy sword within its sheath. And he says, Thinkest thou not that I could pray my father and he would presently give me twelve legions of angels. Great power. But how then should the scripture be fulfilled? The power of God was to be wrought in submission to the Father's will, in obedience, in suffering, in death. And the power of the Lord in the Gospel is, as the Lord said, the Son of Man came not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And his power is not to crush, but to heal and to lift up. And may we remember that. And any bruised soul, wounded soul, guilty soul this evening, I remember that the power of God in the gospel is not to destroy you, but to save you. To shed abroad a saviour's love and light and to pluck as a brand from the burning 
and to give a hope, a good hope, beyond the grave, a hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, in what he has done and what he has accomplished for us. May the Lord bless this word and we find ourselves in this text knowing about the treasure, feeling the earthen vessel and knowing something of the power of God as well. The Lord add his blessing. Amen.